Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quack Smack. I like talking talking sports. Quack Smack. What? Quack Smack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Quack Quack. Quack Quack. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now, let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. And into the KWVA Studios we will head. It is Monday's edition of Quack Smack. I'm your host, Aiden Hess. Joined alongside me, David Miller to my left, uh, Ryan Oppenheimer, will be joining us in a couple minutes or so. He's running a little bit behind, but no worries. Also, we've got Ben Schoenfield behind the glass in production. And then Justin, if I remember his name right, I did. He is learning his steps, so shout out Ben and Justin. We love our new people at KWVA. But it's Monday, February 12, 2024. Now into, what is this, week six now, David, of sure winter is. term? It is. It's Feeling like it's been going by pretty quick. We're kind of right in the middle of the academic school year, but enough about school. I think let's get into some sports. But first of all, I don't know about you, David, but I had a I had a pretty busy weekend. I had uh, a lot of Bushnell. I was calling our calling our good friends at Bushnell University. I had a doubleheader um, for f- basketball on Friday, and then I called the Beacons home opener on Saturday. That was a lot of fun. Um, I had a couple of really good calls, so I don't know about you. How was your How was your weekend? It was. It wasn't too busy. I I got a don't have too much to complain about. You know, got to catch some catch some calls of Oregon softball with our our own Knight Uretsky out there um, in Clearwater. Uh, but yeah, just pretty chill until that until the Super Bowl had to had to make sure and catch that it was a very busy weekend not just for Oregon sports like you mentioned we had softball their home opener tournament in Florida Oregon baseball is also coming up next weekend but the Super Bowl that was the headliner and usually on Quacks Max we talk about pro sports towards the end but I I wanted to just talk about the Super Bowl give a debrief of it while just just fresh in anyone's mind but for anyone I guess who didn't watch the Super Bowl I don't know if you're living under a rock but no no offense if you're not too big into football, but man, it was a good game. The Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers in overtime. It was just the second Super Bowl in history to go to overtime. They scored a game-winning touchdown, beat the Niners by a final score of 25-22. to uh, Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes won his third Super Bowl MVP, and it's the third, the third Super Bowl of Mahomes' career, and it's the third Super Bowl won by Kansas City in what now the last four four seasons it's just it's a new dynasty new dawning in our league so David I want to go to you just just let's hear your thoughts about the Super Bowl and just kind of make sense of it all okay well to start going into the game I didn't I didn't really feel you know the energy that you might feel from a Super Bowl that you might expect to feel but you know as it as like the festivities festivities got going and the you know the crowd set in you know they started showing on the camera all the celebrities that are in the house you start to feel kind of the kind of the enormity of the event but um 
honestly turned out to be a classic. Turned out to be a classic, but you know there were some telltale signs that um, I think even even early on in the game that could maybe give you little hints on where the game was headed. Well, yeah, it was a it was a really close game throughout. Um, I think offenses were kind of you know feeling each other out like a couple of boxers. Um, these are, there's two heavyweights. The Chiefs, although didn't have their best season out of the AFC, they won the Super Bowl last year over the Eagles with a 14 and three record. And this year they kind of took a step back. Uh, people expected, a, I think, a lot more of Kansas City. They finished the regular season with an 11 and six record. And the Niners, they've kind of been an NFC juggernaut for years now. Um, another year atop of the NFC, they finished with a 12 and five record and were the one seed. But I think this was a Super Bowl that a lot of people predicted before even the regular season started, but not so much as we started the postseason. But it turned out to be a really good game. There was no score through the first quarter. Uh, Niners got a field goal to start it off, and then um, it was just a, a crazy play. It's actually the second touchdown. It was actually a second touchdown pass thrown by a non-quarterback in the last three years. Jawan Jennings, uh, kind of lower down on the depth chart, wide receiver for the Niners, threw a, a touchdown pass to Christian McCaffrey. So. That was interesting to see. You never really know what you're going to get about Las Vegas. It's all it's a lot of uncertainty there, but um the Niners took a 10-3 lead in halftime. Chiefs were able to to capital. They got a field goal to cut it down to 10-6 and then a big turnover by San Francisco, a muff punt that actually went off one of the special teams guys' foot of the Niners. Chiefs were able to pounce on it and take it in the next play and then overtime the Niners scored to get the lead and then um just teams trading field goals went into overtime and I don't I don't know it was really interesting because we have the new overtime rules um the whole Josh Allen situation that one crazy Bills Chiefs game a couple years ago um kind of altered the playoff overtime rules where each team is guaranteed a possession no matter what in the regular season in the NFL if the first team that gets the ball in overtime scores a touchdown they win game's over other team doesn't even get a chance but in the playoffs both teams get an opportunity and I thought it was interesting why the Niners chose to receive the ball instead of deferring. I, I feel like anyone that's watched college football over time, it's, it's more similar to the college rules, um, would have probably said, yeah, we want to start on defense because you know what you have to get following, no matter what, following the opponent's first possession on offense. Well, you got to remember this is the first Super Bowl where these new these new rules are in effect where a team can go down and score a touchdown. The other team still gets a chance to possess the ball. So partially it's partially, I, I guess you can just say it's, it's shock of the moment. Um, you know, you heard Kyle use come out and say that they didn't know what they were going to do in that situation. And another wrinkle on this that I thought was kind of interesting. I didn't, I, I admit personally, I didn't know that the the rule was it starts a new game and there are quarters. That was something. I that didn't know that either. I was watching it, and the, the Chiefs ended up scoring the game-winning touchdown with three seconds left in the first 15-minute period of overtime. I'm like, wait, they, they need to hurry up, right? Like it's uh, They're going to run out of time, but they would just end up flipping sides of the field as if it would be like the first quarter going into the second quarter. Yeah, and it's I feel like – What's the point of having a time limit if if you're gonna have a a basically another sixty minutes to go score however you're gonna score? Would w I have a question for you? If they were to get through two halftime 
two overtime periods, would Usher come out for another halftime show? I don't know. I honestly, I I wouldn't see why not. He he did look a little like tired, and and he was very perspirating um, during that halftime show. But I don't know. Maybe there would be a second halftime show. But um, I I think the other overtime game I remember it going to a second overtime. It only lasted one play, but it was during Joe Flacco's playoff run and the the mile high miracle in Denver. Justin Tucker kicked the game-winning field goal as it went into quote-unquote double overtime but it was really just like the second quarter of a new game but uh, I just want to look at some stats Patrick Mahomes we all know about him he's kind of just been the top dog of, of quarterbacks in this league he just played another phenomenal game 34 of 34 completions on 46 attempts 333 yards two touchdowns had that one bad interception but made up for it with a couple of clutch drives and on the and on the Niners side too it's not like Brock Purdy um, he didn't play a bad game either I thought he he did a good job of limiting the turnovers he was 23 of 38 255 yards threw a touchdown one of them to Jawan Jennings who I think we were so close to seeing a Jawan Jennings Super Bowl MVP he threw a touchdown and then caught a touchdown but I think Brock Purdy um, had a good game he, he didn't turn the ball over but kind of who we don't expect on the Niners to turn it over and that was Christian McCaffrey. He had, still had a decent he had a decent outing, 22 carries for 80 yards, a long of 11 yards. Didn't get into the end zone. That's kind of been his game, scoring a lot of touchdowns throughout the regular season, breaking the most consecutive games with a touchdown. So now we have Ryan Oppenheimer entering the room. We'll let him get settled. Um but David, I don't know. What did you see? I think the big Christian McCaffrey fumble. What do you think was like the the biggest turning point in this game, so to say? Well, honestly, I thought it was a pretty linear game. I thought when you look at Brock Purdy's performance, you got a Brock Purdy performance. You got a few throws that were thrown into some dangerous windows. He was mostly able to get away with those. Um, I think that you also were able to see. Um, the Niners had energy, honestly, more than I thought that they would. I, I thought early on, you saw them come out of the start, – starting off, coming out of the locker room. The Niners, you know, they have their signature boom box on the shoulder, and they're, they're rocking out. They're feeling good, right? And, you know, that, that was a good – it looked like they were feeling good, but then you see the Chiefs come out, and the Chiefs – just mean mugging. Just they look like they've been there before because they have. It's it was all business. It was a business trip for them, and they went in there and it was kind of the thing where you you kind of knew before the game started. Okay, the Niners are going to come out hot, but the Chiefs are not expelling their energy right now, right? And you knew that they were going to be able to play the long game. While the Niners, honestly, you got to give it to Kyle Shanahan. Um, it's kind of a trademark of the Shanahan, of the Shanahan teams, both Kyle and his, uh, his dad Mike's old teams. They ha they have energy to spare. They they are ferocious and they they get after you. But at some point, if you have just a resilient team like the Chiefs that has been there before, they know how to plug away and they know how to take what you're giving. They know how to take what a defense is giving them. They know how to take away what an offense, what an offense is most dangerous aspects are it's kind of a recipe for um success if you're the chiefs but disappointment if you're the niners all good points all good points i want to welcome in ryan oppenheimer into the studio now our 
third panelist, along with myself and David Miller, Ben Schoenfield in production. Ryan, first off, how are you? And talking about the Super Bowl a little bit, I just want to get your reaction, your breakdown. Um, what did you see out of out of really became a classic of a game? Well, last night was really fun, and and uh, I was, you know, I I think a lot of us who weren't Chiefs and 49ers fans were a little mad about the matchup being a matchup we've already seen before. Uh, and I was, I still had a feeling though that it was going to be a good game, and it was. Um, if we've talked about this already, I'm, I'm very sorry. But how, how, how in the world did the Niners not know the overtime rules? How? I mean, I guess I, I mean that the overtime has never been played. That type of overtime, I don't yeah. think, has ever been played before I mean and it didn't really turn out like the situation people expect where the Niners went down and scored a touchdown and then the Chiefs had to answer with one of their own it was kind of more traditional but the rules had changed and I was I mean I was scratching my head why did they why did they choose to receive the ball instead of I mean and David mentioned earlier like Kyle Juszczyk came out and said in his post-game interview he's like well shoot we didn't even know the rules I thought just taking the ball is the best thing no matter what that's how the overtime rules have been for years so why would it be any different now? But really, I think that was kind of a blunder by the 49ers. Yeah, and it's like it was a huge story. Like after the Bills-Chiefs game in the playoffs uh, a couple years ago, like that was that was the, the talk of the entire league. You would think the players would be, you know, in tune with that. But I guess at the end of the day, they're just uh, they're just they're just there to, to play and get paid, win championships. And they don't really pay attention to to. Like, you know, they just they do their jobs how they know how to do them. Right. And uh, so I, 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 under, I I guess I understand, but I don't understand there. <laughs> so I, mean, I guess I I'm also looking at it through, um, you know, there's a lot of smoke screens in sports and everything. And this is all speculation at this point. But I I just wonder, you know, the 49ers, they they're runs so to speak that they've had over these last four or five years from the Jimmy G era into the Brock Purdy era it's kind of really been built off of their defense and whenever you you know they might have felt more comfortable having their defense be the last line of defense for their Super Bowl right because they knew no matter what that the Chiefs were going to get a chance at a possession and I think um, they in Shanahan's post-game interview, they they interviewed him and said, I guess their mindset um, was we want to, if both teams match scores, whether that be field goals or touchdowns, the Niners say, oh, we want to be the, the team that gets the ball third because then after two teams have had their first possession and the score is still tied, um, it's just the, team, the next team to score wins, um, I think was the point. But as we've had our moment to kind of reflect and take in this whole game as a whole, I want to ask you guys, th- this game, it – in my opinion, wasn't the most consistently entertaining game throughout. I think it, it turned into really a, a slugfest, two defenses battling it out, which it can be entertaining at some points, but also on the other side, um, two offenses kind of struggling until the end there and going into overtime. But where does this rank in, in terms of like Super Bowls you guys have watched? Because I remember my first Super Bowl I remember watching was the 2010 Saints beating the Colts for their first championship. 
Um, I wouldn't put this game at the the tippy top of it. I would probably have to give that to Super Bowl Forty Nine. I think the Patriots Seahawks that was just an absolute barn burner of a game. That was like the most memorable in my lifetime. I think there's a couple ahead of it, but I think there's a lot of Super Bowls in this last decade plus that are below this game. I think this this turned out to be a pretty exciting contest. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard for me to put it up in my like, in my hierarchy just because i mean for one i just look back on those those past super bowls just with a fondness right you you start to get memories but but i think it's probably maybe maybe a top 10 super bowl um but i like you said i think that the patriots seahawks um the patriots falcons is my number one I think that game, twenty-eight to three, there's never been, there's never been anything like it, and until Patrick Mahomes does it, there's never gonna be anything like it. I don't know. Something about Kyle Shanahan in those type of games is, I don't know. Some something something interesting always happens. But Ryan, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on this? I would agree. It was a uh, one of the better ones, and uh, I, I think the NFL just they've really they've really nailed how to get their games to be consistently close um like more than any other league and that translates to the super bowl you know when's the last time we had a blowout in the super bowl i mean a couple years ago yeah that the the bucks chiefs that was in tampa really that was honestly i think the the greatest defensive performance anyone's ever had against patrick mahomes the pressure they got on that night was incredible but also seahawks Broncos. Yeah, they, I mean, there, there's been a couple of duds yeah. here and there, but I, I think overall, like retrospectively, in, um, in the last ten years or so, we've had we've had more good games than bad games. Yeah, and I think that that's why it doesn't quite match up to some of the all-time greats, but uh, that just goes to show how many great Super Bowls there are, at least in the recent past. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this game, like like I said, I, I would I would put it. Not like a little bit above middle of the road, but but not the best. I'm just trying to rack my brain to think of I, Seahawks, um, the Seahawks pa- Patriots one. I think I'd put at number one. Um, the Patriots Falcons one was good. Patriots Eagles. Um, if you like high scoring, that was a really good game. Um, but I think this game is definitely you've got the duds at the bottom. You've got 13 to three the Patriots over the Rams. I think we all um, remember that one, even though we're not too fond of that game the the Bucks Chiefs I think was was kind of forgettable um, even though it was it was supposed to be a good game at the time Brady against Mahomes and Tom Brady's really been the only kryptonite of Patrick Mahomes really I guess Joe Burrow a little bit too but so far throughout his career and um, I don't know I think this Super Bowl was I think it was better than than when these two teams met in Miami four years ago if I'm being honest I think that I got to give the the nod of the better Niners uh, you know, it's heartbreak, but the better Niners participant as the 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 Ravens Niners with uh, Cap and Flacco. That was a, that was a good one, but uh, I I don't remember that one so much. I remember I remember the end. I I don't know. Twenty thirteen, I guess, was kind of a weird year, but I remember Lights the Ravens. Well, the Ravens got out to a big lead, and then the Forty ers almost came back. But that was that was a really good game, but. Anyway, we're going to take a break here on Quacksmack. It was 
Good football talk. Super Bowl 58 wrapped up. Chiefs beat the 49ers. And when we come back, we're going to start talking some Oregon sports, Oregon men's basketball, and see what they have on deck for us. Keep it right here on Quacksmack 88.1. KWVA. For over 50 years, Help Heal Veterans has utilized recycled materials to create, manufacture, and distribute art therapy kits that help vets deal with pain management, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and many other challenges. Our kits help veterans find sustainable wellness in their lives. We are proud to help those who served our country. Our mission is to help our veterans. To learn more, go to HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. The Skate Park Project, formerly the Tony Hawk Foundation, is a skateboarding organization that helps communities build public skate parks for youth in underserved communities. To date, nearly 600 recipients of the Skate Park Project grants have opened their skate parks. These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.org. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. <clears throat> Too tired. Family trip. Sick day. Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ed Council. This is Travis Tyke, former assistant sports director at KWVA. Cheers! You're listening to Quack Smack. Welcome back to Quacksmack. It's approximately 6.22 p.m. Pacific Standard Time in Eugene, Oregon. We're on the Monday show. I'm your host, Aiden Hess, and joined alongside me, David Miller, Ryan Oppenheimer, Ben Schoenfield in production, along with Justin, learning his steps to become a full member of KWVA, so that's really awesome to see. But we just, before this commercial break, um, talked about uh, the uh, Super Bowl it was a really good game, Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Chiefs ended up beating the 49ers 25-22. to But we're going to move into some college sports, Oregon sports in particular. That's what usually this show is all about. Um, so we're going to pivot into some men's basketball. And for the Ducks, it was uh, another split session in the weekend. They went 1-1 one and one at home in Matthew Knight Arena against the, Husky, against the Huskies and the Cougars taking on the Washington schools. And just a little recap of the first game, Oregon faced off against UW on a Thursday night. And it was, I don't know, it was a really interesting game. Oregon, um, they had already beaten the Huskies in Seattle about a, a month or so ago, 76-74. Um, to 74. But now they, they went for the sweep here at Matthew Knight, and they ended up getting it. Oregon held on to win 85-80 to 80, um, at Thursday night at MKA, and it was kind of a back-and-forth first half, but Oregon went into the break with the lead, and then the Ducks found themselves up 20 with about like 10 minutes to play. It was 66-46 after Folly Dante hit a free throw, and it was actually 10-29 to play in the game, to be specific. Um, but then, I don't know, a switch flip. The Huskies really started to get on a run, 
Um, they even cut the they cut the lead down. It was a one point game with about three and a half to play, but Oregon just made clutch free throw after clutch free throw. They went twenty one for twenty nine from the stripe that ball game. Um, held on for the five point win and were able to pick up the sweep against Seattle and the Seattle school. And it was just really interesting. It wasn't wasn't a type of game where. Oregon held on to win. The, the clock just ran out on UW. They, the Huskies had a chance to, to take the lead multiple times. I mean, three and a half minutes to go, and, and you're only down one point. That's anyone's ball game at, at, at that point. So what did you guys kind of see? And I want to hear your take on, on just the breakdown of, of Thursday's matchup. Yeah, so um, against UW, if you – first of all, if you look at just the box score, you're not going to get the, the full – image you know Aiden did a good job painting the picture there a 20 point lead the Ducks had in in the second period um just like you said time ran out on UW they had the the momentum had shifted and they they were just streaking Oregon only was able to put up uh let they put up less than 10 points in like the the second half of the they did yeah it was um, with 9.27 to go in the second, Jermaine Kuznard made a little two-point jumper, and that would be the last field goal Oregon would hit till a minute 27 ago. Jadrian Tracy made a nice post-move layup, and then really it was just it was only free throws from there, which fortunately for Oregon, they shot a ton of them. 29 is a lot of free throws to shoot, but yeah, just, I mean. says they won 25 for 33 uh, on, the, on the game, on the box score here. Um, um, sorry, I, didn't, I don't mean to. No, yeah, yeah, you're good. It says, okay, yeah, I, I see, I see, okay, but yeah, Ryan, let's 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 hear your take on on the the UW game. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more familiar with with the loss to Washington, uh, with the loss to Washington State. You know, I, it just seems like the, the second half of the Washington game and then kind of the whole Washington State game was just kind of, it was kind of a an indicator that there there may be a little bit of a gap between true tournament contenders and 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 the ducks uh i i think that they're a really streaky team uh especially with how much what they rely on the true freshmen uh evans and, and jackson shellstad shellstads he's been in a bit of a slump lately he went one for nine against uh against the huskies and he didn't do too much better against the uh, Cougars either, and I I think he's he's been putting a lot of that like you know Jermaine Kuznard's had to pick up the slack a little bit, and he's been kind of taking control as the main ball handler, and uh, he had 27 on nine free throws against against the uh, the Huskies, and um, he I had his uh, career high in points on the season 27 yeah. yes, and I think he's gonna have to do that. A few more times uh, until Shellstad gets back in his rhythm, um, but the guards, uh, the guards have been a little bit inconsistent as of late. Uh, but and Folly Dante has been the definition of consistency. He's looked strong. He's looked. He's uh, he had that big injury early in the sidelined him for pretty much the whole non-con, and Folly Dante did. But he's really looking like he's back to full strength. He had a. Uh, uh, a couple of pretty solid games. He was one rebound shy of a double-double on Thursday, and then he ended up getting that double-double. Um, just had 
really is about in like the 15 point range. I think he had he had exactly 15 points on on Saturday. But we're gonna move into the the Washington State game, and this one this one I think was pretty much completely different from Thursday's contest. I think it was Ryan. You were covering it. Um, I was not at that one. I'm usually at I'm at I've been to I think almost all the conference Oregon basketball games and Washington State was the first one I missed I was calling um, Bushnell softball but the Wazoo game was fairly close for most of it the Cougars got out to some decent margins I was checking my phone in between innings at at the uh, Bushnell softball game and saw the Cougars um, got out to a couple like seven point leads or so but Oregon they were able to close the gap but they just never truly got that that counter punch and and kind of distance themselves from Wazoo I know they had a a couple of like one possession leads a, a few times there in the second half, but um, the Cougars—they're a good team. And while Oregon had beaten them in Pullman, it was it was a completely different game than when they played them up north. Uh, Oregon won 89 to 84, um, but this time it was the Cougars coming out on top, just holding it, holding on in a, a relatively low-scoring game. Washington State ended up winning 82 to 56. So Ryan, you were out covering it; you saw it firsthand. Um, let let's hear your thoughts on on that game against the Cougars. Yeah, um, I think that I think that you know the the offense was was never in a rhythm uh, for either team. Really, it was a defensive defensive uh, game, and I think the the Oregon guards had their hands full on on the defensive end. Miles Rice went for a big game, and he was attacking the rack all game long, and just. Uh, drawing a ton of free throws and he did miles rice his stats six for 15 from the field one of five from deep as cougars didn't shoot too well from three-point range but neither did oregon both teams like you said were kind of <laughs> slumping from outside and miles rice he, he got to the free throw line a lot and i mean a lot he shot 11 free throws he made eight of them finished his day with 21 points one rebound shy of a double double he got nine boards and miles rice was definitely uh, a star in that game i i walked i walked away from that game my my main takeaway being I, I really like Miles Bryce and I, I think um I don't know if he's at an NBA level yet, uh shooting thirty three percent from from deep right now, but I think he's got the, the athleticism and the tools to, to, to get there. <laughs> but anyway, uh back to Oregon, um, you know, in the press conference, you know, it a lot I think a, there were a lot of factors to blame for the loss, but Dana Altman made sure to to emphasize that Enfali Dante was not one of them. He was not to blame, and he honestly made it seem like he thought that Dante was the only guy that he thought was playing hard. And, uh, you know, he, he actually said in the conference, like, a lot of our other guys could learn a lesson from Enfali Dante. He was playing big, big minutes. He played 30, um, let's see. He he played a lot of minutes. He played thirty four minutes. It was the, the the second most, and Shellsad played thirty six. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Dante definitely playing big minutes. He had fifteen points, thirteen rebounds. I think one of his stronger games this year. I think the the Georgia game, the first one, mm -hmm. I would argue being his best. Also Utah too, but that wasn't a loss. So it's just tough to see and Folly Dante just kind of playing his heart out, putting it all on the line and especially when they come up short. But, David, let's go to you. What did you see out of Saturday's performance from the Ducks? You know, it, it, I think that this team really rides and dies with its three-point shooting. That's kind of been where it's at. That's what carried them through the non-conference with whenever they were without Infale Dante. 
And, you know, now that they have that stalwart in Dante back in the lineup, they, they have, you know, that anchor in the middle. But the thing is, the supporting cast, the thing that was really propelling them was just that advantage of being able to sink 65, 70% threes in one game. And you nobody can beat a team whenever everybody's hitting their threes, right? Right. Um, but it, they, they shot 20%, one for five from three in the second half against Wazoo. They didn't, they didn't even make one in, in the first half. I believe they went 0 for five, and then Oregon – uh, went four for thirteen in the second, which that's that's not much better. So f- ending ending your day four of eighteen from deep is really not going to get it done. And f- fifty six points, I, I I don't care how good your defense is. That's it's really tough to win games, especially at home when you're only putting up um, fifty six. But uh, I don't know. One thing that really stands out uh, to me from Oregon is is you can really tell about how the the depth right now. They they've dealt with injuries all year, and it just just annoying as as I mean, uh, being a fan of of Oregon basketball, it's annoying to see um, and Folly Dante go out for the amount of time he did, and you know how good he can be when you have um, supporting cast players like Zarzuela get hurt in in like super early on in the in the season, and and other guys like that. Also, Bartholomew doesn't look like he's going to be coming back from the year, and you can really tell that Oregon's depth is just kind of lacking because right now. They're they're playing kind of an eight man rotation, but six of them are, are playing like significant quality minutes. I mean, in the Wazoo game, Oquendo, he's he's pretty good. He's like a platoon starter. He can plug him in off the bench or, or give him a start here and there. And Diawara, who's the backup center to Dante, but he doesn't play a ton. He's more more limited. Um, but you can tell they're really missing Bartholomew. I think Shellstad's their their true one. He's their best ball handler. I think Bartholomew was a was a guy that can really pick up the slack of Shellstad's not having a good night and and having him I think I think it's really hurting the Ducks right now so so depth depth has been an issue and then also Nate Biddle we see him warming up like every game but he's I, he's was sick I had some illness of some sorts for the couple games in LA that Oregon went one and one and he didn't play um, he came back a, a little bit I think against the Arizona schools but but now he's back to not back to not seeing any minutes so need to get Nate Biddle back and and just deal with the depth you have left if you're Oregon when when you have those two when you when you have in Folly Dante and Nate Biddle in the lineup you have two guy two seven footers who can both at at times shoot from beyond the arc it's you know it's one of those things where if you had that in the if you described that setup of a lineup for the NBA you'd be thinking that they might be really on to something but you know it's just you gotta gotta get everybody healthy at the same time yeah and you biddle can stretch a little bit and uh i would like i was always very intrigued to see how they would play side by side but i just haven't been able to see that very much uh, yeah, there's not a ho- not a whole lot of overlap and another thing there's a little bit back in the arizona game but right um and and it was it was a good good little showing there but you know that game, Arizona is a really good team. Yeah, um, but it's just another thing I want to highlight is it's especially in this conference schedule, it, it's kind of been the consistency um, for me in this in this Oregon team. They they look great for about like sixty percent of the game, but they'll have twenty percent of it where they just look like the absolute opposite, and that can be in the form of as we saw in the game against the Huskies, just 
no offense whatsoever. You go on a, a nine-plus-minute drought without a field goal, and you let uh, one of your conference rivals almost come back, which in a game you should be really just blowing the doors off of them. You're up by 20. Keep your foot on the gas. And also on the other side um, is you just you, you let it get away from you. You, let, you get down early. Um, look back to a couple of Oregon games this year. They got down by 18 to Cal, how to make a just tremendous uh, late first-half effort to, to make it close, and they were able to win that one. But I mentioned it a couple weeks ago when I was hosting. You can't go down by double digits to a team, a uh, high-powered offense like Arizona or even Washington State. Washington State's a good team now with the win. They they have sole possession of, of second place, and um, – both team Oregon with a win would have had the tiebreaker they would have had the same record now the Cougars are two wins better than Oregon on the season so now it really sparks the question is a tournament bid still in the cards and especially at large because I know um, a couple of the other panelists on my show a few weeks ago we say Oregon it's about 50 50 right now they need to go like eight and three or so in their past 11 games and that was a couple weeks ago and now since these games have happened Oregon's kind of had losses where maybe you think oh better Oregon teams might have pulled out a win against UCLA better Oregon teams might have come out on top against that game at Utah better Oregon teams would have found a way to to get over the finish line against Washington State in kind of a scrappy low scoring game so what do you think the Ducks need to do to to get a tournament bid at large or do you think that really the Pac-12 tournament's the only option well the Pac-12 tournament I mean obviously winning it would 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 get a would get the Ducks in but even if they don't win the whole tournament i think the key is getting on the other side of the bracket from arizona like being an even seed since arizona being the number one seed is would be on the odd side like that's why getting the number two seed would be so like the number two seed is so coveted for Washington State, it's a huge advantage because they don't have to face Arizona until the championship, the right? Exactly. And you know, if you lose in the championship and you play them close, well, then you're making a pretty good case uh, to make it in, uh, basically guaranteed. But if that same thing happens in the semifinal, maybe not so much. So I, I don't know. Maybe the answer is to drop to the number four seed i'm not saying they should do that but well <laughs> well i think i think the four seed you would have to play arizona in the second round top four teams in the pac-12 get a bye and then you go to the uh the quarterfinals so oregon if they were the four seed they play the five whoever that be if they won it's looking like arizona they they swept the mountain schools pretty impressively they've kind of got their grip on the number one seed in the pac-12 but if oregon that was what they were last year. Oregon was the four seed, and they played number one UCLA in the semifinals. They lost. So I think for Oregon, they, they need to get top three. If, they're, if they don't get second place, they can still do that. I think they need to get at least third in the Pac-12 to really make a case for themselves. I think you're right on there. I think that the key is if you're going to lose in the Pac-12 tournament, if you're not going to come out with it in the end, the loss has to be to Arizona. So if to your point, if you want to – I think that there is a scenario where we could end up where Oregon could end up on the same side of the bracket as Arizona and they play them really tough in a semifinal and say Arizona goes and beats whoever's coming out of the other side of the bracket say that they just they mollywop them and that it you know the selection and the voters will all will look back and say well 
you know, this other team from the Pac-12 got blown out, blown the doors off in the Pac-12 uh, tournament finale. But in the semifinal, Oregon played them to a buzzer beater, played them to overtime, you know, whatever that may be. So I think that I think that there's definitely a possibility that, you know, you could maybe s- the Pac-12 could sneak in three t- three teams. It just also has to deal with um, what kind of Cinderella stories do we see coming out of other conferences. Well, we're going to see how it all shakes out down the stretch for the Ducks. Their next game will be this Saturday night. They travel up to Corvallis to play the Beavers, the first of two games this season. That's going to do it for this men's basketball segment. We're going to take a quick break here on Quacksmack. When we come back, Oregon softball had their first tournament, first games of the season played out in Clearwater, Florida. We're going to discuss all this right after this. KWVA. KWVA. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We go through safety training and try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute, because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. This is Neil Everett from SportsCenter. When I'm in Eugene, I listen to Quack Smack. And you better, too. KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM. Go Ducks, Quack! Heading into our final segment of Quack Smack, I'm your host, Aiden Hess, joined alongside David Miller and Ryan Oppenheimer, also Ben Schoenfield behind the glass in production. We talked about the Super Bowl to start out, it's fresh in everyone's minds, and also Oregon men's basketball and their performance against the Washington schools this weekend. But now we're going to transition into our first spring sport. It seems spring sports are upon us. Softball, um, which we're just about ready to talk about, uh, happened this weekend. Baseball playing a tournament out in Texas um, this weekend. So spring's upon us. Spring's here, even though it's only February. Um just the middle of February at that, but let's get right into it. Oregon softball, um, they played their first couple games of the season out in Clearwater, Florida. Knight Yaretsky was on the call for that as he's going to be for all of the Oregon softball games this weekend. And for the Ducks, I think they did pretty solid. They won two-thirds of their games. They went four and two. Um, Their only 
losses was in their um, opening game to future Big Ten opponent Indiana. They lost that one 7-5, and also they played Clemson a couple days later and played a, a really close game with the Tigers but ended up on the losing end. 3-2 to two was the final score, and and for Oregon, they, they come into this season on the poll. There's a couple of different polls, but just the first one I saw was Oregon. Um, I know they're ranked number 13-1, in one, and they're ranked number 15, so a bunch of different polls, but they're somewhere in between that range, um, depending on who you ask. But I want to hear your guys' take on it. I, I think Oregon did pretty well. They, they beat the teams they were supposed to, and they, and they hung tough with uh, some pretty, pretty high-quality opponents. Yeah, I think it was... As expected, you know the ducks are the ducks are for real. They're they are, you know, poised to remain in the in the top twenty five for for the for the whole year as they did last season, and um, I, you know, in softball you, you can't win every game unless maybe you're Oklahoma, uh, but the the opener was a bit disappointing, but the rest of the weekend was almost flawless you know they played number five Clemson pretty close and and lost but the rest of the games were comfortable wins you know shutting out Liberty and uh, um, run ruling army you know winning 12 to 1 and uh, yeah those were the two strongest showings and also Liberty Missouri State Missouri State as well yeah I think that you know coming out early against Indiana that's you know Indiana is not an easy matchup by any by any stretch that's a that's a Big Ten matchup that's a future Big Ten matchup Oregon Indiana um, and you know they just they were able to get the offense they were able to get the bats flowing early and they got up ahead of Oregon and Oregon just wasn't able to fight to really claw back but you know that is what it is you got to remember this Oregon team is they're pretty young now. They had a lot of seniors, a lot of stalwarts that were on the team um, that were making it to super regionals like last last season. Um, a lot of people move on, you know, a lot of people graduated. So, you know, the first game coming out against a tough opponent like Indiana, that's I don't I don't breathe too much into that. I think it's good just good experience and they were able to ha hang tight with them. So, Right, and I think on paper, maybe you look at that matchup going in and you say, hey, maybe Oregon's the better team Just if you're just looking at solely at ranking. Oregon is, you know, like we said, number 13 in the country, and Indiana, while unranked, they are receiving votes. So they're like right on the cusp, um, and they probably are going to be ranked after this next poll comes out in a little bit. But um, for Oregon in that game, they lost to the Hoosiers 7-5, and really the start kind of determined it. Stevie Hansen, um, who just had a, a breakout season, the Ducks last year was just amazing in the circle. Um, had a little bit of a rocky start. She allowed five runs and in two innings, and the Ducks were able to claw back and claw their way back in the game a little bit, but they just weren't able to get it done. But Oregon, I mean, they they looked good, they looked good against the teams they're supposed to. Also, Liberty they were receiving votes too, but Oregon really hammered them, just continuing the Ducks trend of blowing out the Flames in both softball and. Football too beat them eight nothing. They beat Army twelve one, and I think Oregon in their wins they they were pretty dominant. They really didn't have to sweat anything out except for maybe the Kansas game. But you look at that and say, hey, Oregon had a five nothing lead heading into the final frame until the Jayhawks hit a three run homer. But Oregon was able to hold on, win it, f win it, 
five to three. And then I just want to bring in like like who do you guys think stood out this weekend? Because there's a lot of a lot of different options. Um, let's start in the circle. Who do you guys think was was the best pitcher for the Ducks this weekend? Well, looking at the opener against Indiana, the Ducks lose seven to five. But I think what doesn't show up immediately is that four of those runs or three of those runs were unearned. And Stevie Hansen, um, she gave up five runs, but three unearned on a on an error by I believe Taya Bird. And uh, outside of that, you know, Stevie Hansen has been the ace that she has always been since she stepped into the building. And, um, you know, you can't really pin the loss against Indiana on her. Um, you know, Stevie Hansen's, I think, going to be one of the best pitchers in the nation for as long as she's in college. Yeah, I think you got you to gotta put your eyes on Taylor Spencer coming that way with two wins on the on the tournament mm-hmm. pitching at a 0.7 ERA you know just really kind of you know putting a good 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 anchor there in for the for the Ducks on the mound well yeah I really so I really agree with that point um, David that's who I have in my notes I was really impressed by what Taylor Spencer was able to do for the Ducks I mean she pitched 10 innings went 2-0 and got two wins in her four and had four appearances and I think just a really exciting part about her game, especially this past weekend, was she only allowed one earned run and held opponents to a team low on her team, a, a 156 batting average. And if you look at Taylor Spencer, she's only a freshman. And, and maybe I don't want to say, I mean, I think it's a little bit too early to tell, but I don't want to say Stevie Hansen 2.0, but, but she's got some raw talent. And I think she can be um, really good, can be a, a, a solid, uh, just a really solid arm. Um, for this Oregon team in the circle, and I, I got the the honor to call uh, a couple of the Ducks preseason um, fall ball games um, a, a term ago. Um, and although they were playing just you know local schools or around the area that didn't have to travel too far, Oregon much better than them talent wise. Taylor Spencer she pitches with a lot of energy. You can tell when she just delivers a heater, blows a batter away, picks up a strikeout. She is fired up in the circle. And I, I think it's really cool to see someone just just lighting the spark, bringing the energy, bringing that fire to the Ducks. You know, I agree with that. You know, like like I said, there was a lot of a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, and everything that was was missing after last season. You know, after the the trip to Oklahoma and and the Super Regional, where Oregon came up short, there. There was so much turnover and just such an influx of young talent that the thing that it's kind of nice to see somebody who d- maybe you say doesn't know what they don't know and they're just excited to be there and that energy just seeps through when they're on the mound and I I agree that just seeing somebody fired up ready um, just on on right on routine things I think that that'll start to calm down probably you don't have all the all the big expectations on like I think for a, a pitcher like Stevie Hansen or Morgan Scott or Morgan Scott excuse me who's more well established more known amongst um, Duck softball fans they know what they can do um, when they're 
on the rubber and in the circle. But Taylor Spencer, I think a lot of people are going to be learning her name um, pretty fast. But also just a quick note on Stevie Hansen. I mean, she wasn't as dominant, I think, as a lot of people, including myself, were used to seeing. I mean, she had a little bit of a rough outing against the Hoosiers, like I mentioned, um, five runs in two innings. But as Ryan said, I thought it was a good point. Three of those are unearned runs. So you can't really fault her for that much. But um, she bounced back. She, I mean, against Missouri State and Army, two teams at Oregon um, really just poured it on against. They beat Missouri State 8-0, beat Army 12-1. Um, she looked a lot better. Uh, I think maybe just getting those early season jitters out is going to be good. Um, but let's flip it over to the batting side. I mean, there's a lot of diff there's a lot of different options. Oregon, um, they put up a lot of runs in their wins, um, had a couple of mercy rule victories. So uh, there's a lot of different routes you can take, and I want to hear um, the options that, that, that you guys are seeing. Who Who's your um, batter's box MVP, I guess, so to say? Well, I'll have to... I'll have to give it to the slugger, Ariel Carson. Coming away with two home runs. Um, just kind of maybe be the power leader of the of the Ducks here early on in the season. I mean, I have I have in my notes, I have someone else I have in mind. I'm going to let Ryan um, say after I make this quick point. But um, I have in my notes, in bold, Ariel Carlson, Pac-12 player of the week, which she was just on fire. But Ryan, let's 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 hear let's hear from you. Well, Carlson did hit th uh, two of the three home runs for the team over the weekend, but you know, shout out to Kyle Shar as well. Um, Twenty at bats leads the team, and she really, really got on base. Eleven hits, and uh, they were all singles, all singles, and you know, but that's you know, singles are underrated. Singles are valuable, and. You know, all six games played, you know, it amounts to a 1.159 OPS, a 550 slugging percentage, and, um, you know, and, and an on-base percentage of 609, which that's the one that really, really stands out. Um, but I, I think overall I'd probably still give it to Carlson because of 10 RBIs that leads the team by a mile. Uh, no other team, no other player has more than five. Uh, so Ariel Carlson, I think, is going to be uh, the main supplier of power throughout the season, and, and I think that makes her the most valuable hitter. And, and Ariel Carlson, the the Eugene native out of Marist High School, she had a uh, a two homer game against Liberty in that eight nothing win, and um, uh, she had the highest OPS and RBIs um, out of all her teammates this week, and earned Pac-12 Player of the Week honors. But, Ryan, I think you bring up a good point. Kylu Shars, who I had at the top, I think there was two paths you could have gone down, and I wanted to highlight Kylu Shars maybe not so much the wild card, not so much as a wild card, but she did have a, an awesome weekend overall. I think um, she was the most consistent player in the Ducks batting order. She started all six games, had 11 hits and 20 at-bats, which is the most hits um, for Oregon, uh, walked three times, and... I think the most impressive part for me is it's it's the stolen bases. She had six stolen bases, didn't get mm -hmm. caught once. And I think when I was calling some of the fall games, she was just terrorizing of opponent uh, opposition pitchers um, just on the base, base pass, just being able to steal that extra station whenever you want, I think is just such a weapon um, that maybe is not as valued. But um, for Kyle Lushar, it's just it, she's just a game changer, really. Um, has great speed, can get out of the box in a flash, can get on base like anyone else. Um, 
the yep. even though she had all singles, that's still productive because if she gets a single and a stolen base, well, that's pretty much a double at that point. So Kylu Shar, I think, is is she's going to be a a, le- a dangerous leadoff threat and really just a tough out for any team this season. I'd be remorse if we didn't also give a little shout out to Alyssa Daniel. Um, five RBIs over the course of the weekend hit for this cycle. You know, um, just another another layer to this to this Oregon team and what they have going on in the batter's box. Yeah, so Oregon finishes up their Florida trip going 4-2 and two over this past weekend, but now they're going to fly south to San Diego, my hometown. Um, Knight Uretsky and myself are going to be on the call. I'm going to be on color, and I'm really excited to go back home. I love San Diego. Um, I've lived there all my life, um, but that's enough about me. So we're going to keep talking about Oregon as we've got about four minutes remaining um, of Monday's Quacksmack, but the Ducks fly south again for down to San Diego for another tournament. It's the Campbell Cartier Classic, um, hosted by the University or San Diego State University. Excuse me. They're gonna have two games on Friday, two games on Sunday, one on Saturday. They play Texas A&M twice, Loyola Marymount University twice, and also San Diego State. And these are some good teams that Oregon plays against. A&M um, began rank, was ranked starting the season ranked. They were number 24 in one of the polls as well as San Diego State. They're ranked in some polls, but not all of them. Um, and for the Aztecs, I think the Aztecs, because um, I'm pretty I'm pretty familiar with, with um, this team, um, they made it to the Super Regional as well. They, they came out on top of the, uh, the UCLA Regional when they got upset, and they were just one win away from the College World Series. So it's, it's some still pretty high-quality opponents that Oregon's going to be playing this weekend. Yeah, um, I was just going to say also got – baseball season coming up for the Ducks so that's going to be an exciting thing to see going to look to move on a little bit further from where they were kind of stymied in the Super Regional against Oral Roberts last season but but yeah just what do you what do you guys think about like uh, I guess I mean we've only got about two minutes left I guess we can run through some predictions in the remaining time so I think Oregon I think they're the best team in this tournament they're the highest ranked team in the tournament but it's not like anyone they're playing is is really a pushover. San Diego State's a really good team, like I mentioned. Texas A&M is a really good team. They made it to the regional round. They lost to um, University of Texas last year. That ended their season. LMU, um, I'm not too familiar with them, but let's just get into some predictions. What do you think? The Ducks have five games. What do you think their record's going to be? And if they lose one, who do you think it, it's going to be to? Um, I think the loss will probably be to Texas A&M. Uh, either at the very beginning or the very end. And I think they handle business against Loyola and against San Diego State. I think the San Diego State one is going to be a big a big game, and uh, a lot of softball fans going to be tuned into that one. And, and uh, I think Oregon's going to rise to the occasion there. I, I'd say watch for the split against Texas A&M, kind of like you were saying. Um, but against... Loyola and the Aztecs, I, I expect the Ducks to be able to take care of business. Well, we are going to see about that as we're just about getting to the end of Monday's Quack Smack. I don't know. I, th- I think I, I'm confident in Oregon. I'm going to be on the call. I'm going to be down there. Um, I, I think they have the potential to sweep. But if they were to lose one game, I think it would be to Texas A&M. Um, so Oregon facing off against some good teams. But that's going to do it for Monday's edition of Quack Smack. Make sure to listen to all the Oregon sports, Oregon Sports Network, and also KWVA. We broadcast every Oregon softball game. 
So I'm your host, Aiden Hess. Join alongside me my two panelists, David Miller and Ryan Oppenheimer. Also, Ben Schoenfield in production. Thank you all for listening, and have a good rest of your night, everyone.